Hey, this is Sharon, and welcome back to the Business School Podcast. And in this episode, I talk to my good friend, Moran Pobert, the CEO of Acquisitions.com, the premier authority on acquiring businesses in a wide varieties of industries and structures. And we talk about the staggering failure rate of starting a business, a 96% failure rate, where even Elon Musk didn't start Tesla. We talk about why you should never start a business, sort of, how you can pay yourself from day one when you can buy a business and how to use other people's money legitimately, thoughtfully, and strategically to buy a business that can change your life and change the seller of the business life forever. This is a ultra tactical episode as Moran goes through very specific case studies that will give you the confidence and the inspiration to think about your world, your life differently. Not only will you figure out ways to grow your existing business, but also that little perspective that you may need give you that little courage to go buy something that you've never thought possible. And this all starts right now. One thing is for certain, just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's working right now. So the big question is this, where can you learn what is working right now? The strategies, the tactics, the psychology, and the exact how-to. How to grow your business. How to blow up your personal brand and supercharge your personal growth. That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. My name is Sharon Srivatsa, and welcome to Business School. Mr. Moran Pobert, how are you, sir? I'm good. I'm excited for this uh, podcast. Hey, man, this is a super exciting to me because in the entire M&A world of buying companies, investing in businesses, um, there are outside of Shark Tank, I, you are in my, in my eyes, you are the authority, right? Like, because... Uh, shark, like you'll, you'll have your own Shark Tank soon. I, I know that. But outside of Shark Tank, because I think that Shark Tank is where the implementation happens, but the how to unlock people's minds on what is possible. Uh, I think you've done an insane job of, of just building and growing and sharing and teaching people about the power of businesses. And I want to ask you this. I want to kick off with this one question. In this whole gig economy that we are in, Everyone, you know, like you have experiences where you've lived around the world and run multiple businesses. Everyone wants to start a business. They're like, you know what? I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go start a business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to start a business. But people don't realize how complex it is to get a business off the ground. And um, I just want you to maybe like, what is the first thing that comes to mind for you when someone says, oh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to start I'm going to start a new business. Yeah, it's funny because right now I'm looking at things very differently. And in the past, I also was a partner in a small VC venture capital firm in Israel. And I know you're investing as well in startups. And what most entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs don't know is that even when a venture capital firm is investing in startups, and venture capital firms are some of the most sophisticated investors in the world, for them as a portfolio approach, they know that like nine out of 10 will fail, right? And that's in the best case scenario. So the way that I see that from the entrepreneur side, it's kind of like, why would you want to be that one out of 10 that might make it? Yeah. That's the first thing that I'm kind of like, okay, that makes no sense. Uh, it, but, 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 
you know, that's a, that's crazy, right? Like if you think about the opposite of it, even the best investors in the world are willing to take bets on the best investments they're going to make. And then on those best investments, they're expecting nine out of 10 of them to fail. Like we're not just 10% of success. We are 10% of the 1%, which is so crazy, right? And so, uh, but I also, on the other side, I'm, I'm deeply appreciative of folks that want to control their own destinies, people that want to build and grow their own kind of equity and fortunes. Um, they they don't want to be tied to a nine to five. I, I respect that. So if I, if I can't go start my own thing, because the average person who's working a nine to five or average person that is in a tough job or a partnership right now is thinking, well, my only out is if I go do something else, if I go do my own thing. So if they can't, if we know the odds of doing your own thing is dramatically, it is tough. What's the alternative? The alternative is to buy something existing. Now, the thing is that most people don't know that we truly live in unprecedented times, right? Like in the past, you used to say that business owner, being a business owner used to be risky in the past, right? But right now, look at what's going on in the world. Like the government can't save you anymore. And what most people don't know is that there are, 71 million baby boomers controlling $30 trillion in wealth that will be retiring over the next 10 years. And $31 trillion, that's a lot. Those people own businesses. Around 10,000 people turn 65 years old in the US alone. And every single day is, is an opportunity for anyone who wants to, to buy existing business and help those people retire. Obviously, if they have the right skill on how to go out there, find the right deal, finance the deal, structure the deal, and, and then operate it or find the right operators. But dude, how, so when, when that sounds like a lot, right? How, how, how does the first, the first uh, fear that I have is, well, I'm going to go buy a business. Where do I come up with the cash? Like that's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's the first, where do I, where can I possibly come up with the cash? I don't want to go ask friends and family. They're going to think I'm crazy. I don't have this experience, but the cash is always the first thing that people uh, you know, people, why the reason they don't want to buy a house is because how do I come up with the cash? Right. And so, um, when, when someone tells you, I, you know, I'm kind of interested in that, but how do I come up with the cash? How do you, how do you think about that? Yeah. So first of all, I tell them that, look, the richest people in the world, they use opium, they use other people's money to grow their wealth. Right. Because in the end of the day, if you can use leverage to do bigger deals, why won't you do that? And I mean, I actually think that if someone comes to me with too much money, I think that might be a problem because they, <laughs> they, it, it, it's kind of like they wouldn't work hard to be creative, right? I heard, I heard horror stories of people who have too much money or literally use their life savings or their family life savings to buy their own business. And there's so many opportunities out there. I mean, in the end of the day, what it comes down to is more about what is the deal that you're looking at and how motivated the seller is to sell the business. Because when the seller is motivated, you'll find the right terms, you'll find the money. I can walk through right now, like we can, we can expand on that if you want, dozens of different deal structures on where you can find money. The answer in short is combination of debt and equity, but there are dozens of ways to get access to different sources of debt and equity. Yeah, so let's, let's um, maybe let's bring it to life, right? If you can think about, you have so many examples of this stuff. If you can think about maybe one situation and you can say, hey, let me tell you about, let me tell you about a, a client or partner that I worked with. And if you can just say, hey, the deal was this, 
he had this and just maybe maybe break that down because it'll give people and bring it to life for people. Yeah, so two examples that I like, I'll start with the more modest one, right? So I'm thinking about Lyle. He he bought three businesses, each of them doing at least a million a year in revenues using none of his own money. And the way he did that is what we call a rebate funds. So he, I mean, combine combination of rebate and seller financing. So what he did is he went out there, he found a business that is looking to sell and he negotiated with the seller uh, some of the money that will be financed over a period of time, basically being paid from the business cash flow to pay it over time, right? right? I know I know your listeners are, are familiar with that because I've, I've heard your podcast about acquisitions as well and I love them. So now the question is, okay, so let's say a seller agreed to finance part of the deal over time where you come up with the rest for a down payment. And what he did is he went to the acquisition target supplier and he was able to negotiate a rebate with them. And a rebate is basically a discount on previous spend of that business in order for him to continue to work with them as suppliers. Because he basically say, look, I'm going to be the owner of this business. I'd like to get that rebate, which is basically a down payment on previous work that the business had with the supplier. And they gave him thousands of dollars per acquisition. Each, each acquisition had different supplier. They gave him basically everything they needed for a down payment for the promise that he will keep them as suppliers in the future. So that's just one example. Um, if you want, I'll expand on right now. I think one is, what is probably one of the most exciting acquisition story that I've heard in years, Dude, right? So, so hold, hold off on this, right? Yeah. This is insane. Like you haven't told me this, this is crazy. Like I, I've done a, I've done a lot of wild deals, but going, so, so take, take a simple business, say, say we'll make easy numbers, right? Say it was a, say it was a hundred thousand dollar purchase. So because I use a hundred number, um, what roughly what portion of it was seller financed? So usually it's around, so it depends on the seller. I need to look at the exact details per so deal. But in usually, Lyle's case, what was, what, what was roughly, what was it? So in Lyle's case, approximately 50 to 70% seller finance over time. So a very motivated seller. Right. right. So, so sellers yeah. like, Hey, listen, I like my business. I know my cash flows can support you paying. I just don't want to run this business anymore. And I know you'll pay me out over time. So I still get paid and I have the business's security, which is, which is still good. And I have a younger operator, which is in place, who's going to deliver my, my coupon payments, which is awesome, but I'm not willing, but the young operator has to put something in place. He's not going to take the full amount and sell it. So he's going to get something up front. So now Lyle's like, okay, how do I come up with that without going and asking my friends and family for money? And so he he said, I'm gonna go out, I pay these suppliers to get product or whatever so I can go resell them. I'm gonna ask them for a rebate on previously done business. Essentially, he's telling the suppliers to invest in his new business. Exactly. That's insane. Without being diluted, without dilution, dilution of his equity. <laughs> That's so amazing. But yeah. uh, how does that, so, so um, Clearly, you know, you helped him with that. How does that scripting conversation go with the supplier? So in the, with the supplier, the biggest thing is that it's a promise to continue to work with him, right? So in, in many sectors with suppliers, it's actually very common for people to give a bonus for the work the supplier did for years, right? So it's kind of like almost like a bonus for the fact that you work with a supplier for years. And, but the biggest thing for him that was the leverage, the fact that, hey, look, I'm going to be the new owner of this business. I mean looks like you did a great job. I'd like to continue to work with you if you helped me with ABC. 
right? So it's almost like a leverage for him to use on the fact that he's going to be the future owner. A lot of people are afraid, hey, why would someone even talk to me in the first place? Well, you need to position yourself as the new owner of that business. So the same thing that you can do with suppliers, you can do with future employees, future partners, future anything that is related to the business. Yeah. Um, I, I, lo- I love this so much. Uh, and I'll, I'll give, um, have, have you kind of share a topic on this. Whenever I go into a portfolio company that we've invested in or whenever I'm talking to one of my clients, the thing that I love to think about the fastest and the quickest is the immediate downstream and the immediate upstream. So a lot of times where we are in the value chain, someone is either a supplier or a referral partner or an affiliate partner. Like we are, there's somebody right before us in the value chain and there's somebody generally right after us. So uh, I'll take a simple example. So if I were like, take this guy. So, so he, this is a, if it's a cement company, there's someone right before us, maybe an architect who's saying, Hey, I want to create this. And someone right after us, maybe a dirt removal service. I have no idea, right? But those are someone before us and someone after us. Those two people are, we are crazy not to either do some kind of affiliate JV profit share partnership with somebody that's so close to us. So for me, my my favorite thing to do is like, who's the immediate upstream? Who is the immediate downstream? In this case, it was a supplier. We are, even if not a, uh, kind of the, the rebate financing is amazing, but if we're crazy in the average business right now, if we're a business owner listening, to set up some affiliate relationship or JV relationship or partner relationship with them, you can literally drop money to the bottom line for like no extra effort by just having tighter relationships with these people. And the nice part is, Moran, that these people know who that you're upstream. Those people know that they this, they already know. So you don't have to convince them of anything else, which is like amazing to me. Do you do you uh, do you think about upstream, downstream or how do you how, how does that work for you in your world? I love it. The way that I look at it is more of like, okay, because, because I'm mostly helping people with the initial acquisition, right? So it's more about, okay, where, what kind of resources we can have in order to finance the acquisition to begin with. And obviously after that, then, okay, let's do the joint ventures. Let's do more mergers and stuff like that. Um, with what you said, I'm thinking about two examples. One of them is a guy who basically raised the capital from a person who then ran his business. So he's basically to a future CEO, which is kind of like a lot of people don't know, but even when with Facebook, for example, Mark Zuckerberg had, uh, what's her name? Sheryl Sandberg. Yeah. So she came in and became basically the CEO and he sold her shares in Facebook as part of the transaction, right? So that's what you can do in small business as well. It's like, okay, I don't want to run the day-to-day of the business. I want to be the owner. Let's find a CEO that have their credibility that have can can run this business. Tell him, hey, look, I'm about to buy this business. If you want, I can sell you a few shares. And guess what? That's the equity that you can use as a down payment. Dude, it's so here's the crazy part. It actually happened to me, um, and I didn't realize that at all. So one of my friends was uh, this is not even starting. This is not even. Uh, uh, it's easier to buy a business. This is he was starting from scratch. So he said to me, he's like, hey, Sharon. I want to build this app. I have this vision for it. Uh, I know it's in this, it's in the space that you are knowledgeable at. And I know you've run multiple businesses in this. All I need for you is to be a startup CEO, but you don't need to do anything apart from get the, uh, raise the initial money, get the team and get the app in the app store. Once that's done, like I'll take over everything else. And so I was like, okay, so I'm negotiating kind of like my involvement in this. And he's like, how long will this take? And I said, well, if you listen to what I have to say, uh, you know, I can do this whole thing in 12 weeks. And he goes, 
you can do this whole thing in 12 weeks? And I said, yeah, because I have, I have I, like, I have a full-time role, right? Like I got other things to do. And Warren, he told me, he goes, well, um, if you want to write a check to be the CEO, that would be great. And I was like, and I actually did that. So I wrote the first check because it gave me credibility to go raise more money saying, hey, I'm the CEO of this business. I wrote the check. I'm willing to do this. Here's the founder. And crazy, dude, like in 12 weeks, I had written a check, got built the team, got the app in the app store. And this guy put zero money in and he had all the founder's equity. Yeah, that's that's the beauty, right? When when you really understand how much power you have as the founder, as the person who's coming up with the initiative and, and you're fine with taking advantage of that in quotes, then you have so many opportunities. If you want, I'll share with you, I'll yeah. share with your listeners the, the roll-up that Michael just did, which I think is yeah. one of the craziest stories, right? So um, Michael is a guy that in the last six months created an entity that's doing 62 million in EBITDA in pre-tax profits, right? Almost 200 million in revenues. Now he did that using, and, and again, this is not a get rich quick thing, right? But he did it using none of his own money which is insane. He basically went out there and pitched to at least for him, 16 companies uh, said yes so far, but basically went out there and said to 16 companies, Hey, I'm looking to buy this group to, to build this group. Join me. Here's what you're going to get. Let's build a larger group. So everyone's share is going to be worth more over time. And 16 people said yes. And he's right now running that business. He raised the capital. It's insane. And just to give you an, an idea, Companies in his sector at that size are being valued at around anywhere between 20 to 30 times multiples on their EBITDA, which means he basically created a billion dollar entity in less than six months. But, but okay, dude, so how, how does somebody, like there's a, there's, there's this knowledge component here and I understand that, right? But there's also a, there's a there's a belief and a mindset component here that this is possible. How what what is present in a someone like Michael that you see? Because you see a lot of people doing a lot of things. What is present in someone like Michael that the that the the, the average person just does not does that you don't see it in? Oh man, that's a good question that I think we we're, we're all asking ourselves on a daily basis, right? So with Michael, I can share with you kind of like how he talked to me about that. He told me. So, so I've done a, a very small version of that a few years ago. So it's only right. Like I've, I've seen one of your trainings and I'm like, damn, where, where can we take this? And he just started, he just started and I supported him in the journey. And I remember at some point he's like, Hey, I got two companies that said, yes. I'm like, awesome, cool. And, and I, I almost didn't pay attention to it because it's just like, you know, just a random note that he sent to me and literally within like two, three months, it's like, Hey, I'm at 20 something million EBITDA. And then one or two months later, is it 62? What he had, it's a good question. It's some kind of combination of just so much certainty that it's possible, or maybe just not knowing that it's difficult, right? It's just not knowing that, hey, this might be challenging and just us going all in and, and keeping, it just kept himself accountable. It told me I had a goal. I want to talk to X amount of companies. I talked to at least those. He told me, I think he wanted to talk to like 150 companies. He talked to around 200. He told me I want to do it within X amount of days. I've done it. I had my KPIs that I'm tracking every week. And I remember he told me, 
after the first company signed the agreement, I was like in shock. He didn't believe it in himself, right? And then he just built the momentum and that's where he is right now. It's it's seriously insane. One of the most insane stories that I've, I've seen. Well, dude, so, so uh, people think that we, we can go into the, the, the skill-based mechanics of the stuff. So if someone wants to learn how to buy a business in and use the different, have know the different structures and access to them, they can, you know, they can go to acquisitions.com and they can find your, like your, your, your signature course in a university and they can get it. But there is a, there's something that happens before, right? And I think that's the cool part here. A lot of people don't want to talk about that or they're like, ah, mm-hmm. you know, Sharon's done that. So he has the confidence. And I think there's something interesting, which I'd love for you to comment on, which is a lot of times the only, uh, we want a guarantee of success before we take the first step. Right. And, and that's why in online marketing, a lot of times you see the the risk reversal, right? Like people want the guarantee of success or they want an out before they did, which, and I think the more marketers do that, it is actually hurting our humanity because nobody wants to take, they have no courage and commitment to saying, I'm willing to do this because I philosophically believe in it without a guarantee of success. And I think, as you said, Michael just... He was willing to do this, talk to 200 companies without a guarantee of success. And dude, like good things happen to those kind of people. Yes, I, I, I agree 100%, you know, and, and, and it's, it's interesting, you know, we all, I think, to some extent, look for certainty in an uncertain world, right? No, nothing is certain. We don't know if we're going to go out tomorrow and, and get hit by a bus, uh, but we almost live by faith hoping that we'll be fine, right? That the sun will, will shine tomorrow. Um, it's, it, it's fascinating really to see. And I think it, to, to, at some point you just need to, you, you just need to see that others out there are doing it and to believe that you can, if not to get to those specific results, can at least get to the next level of your results that is closer to what they're doing and then just trust and, and act. Yeah. Easier said than done, of course. But but see, uh, uh, here's the other thing, also, right? Um, so there's a there's a, I don't know if I'd share this with you. There is a venture capitalist his name is Fred Wilson, just legendary venture capitalist, right? Um, and so when I when I originally, you know, 20 years ago, when I wanted to get into this space, I thought being the venture capitalist was the hot thing, right? And you didn't didn't realize how hard it was, and. Um, I had this lunch with Fred and me and like four other uh, people who had lunch with Fred and Fred told me, he goes, you are going to lose. He's like, you're going to lose for at least two market cycles. And he says, if you make it past two market cycles of investing in startups, you have earned your stripes and everything will turn around for you. And I said, why? He goes, I don't know, but everybody that I have seen, it takes like you know, it takes that much time to invest money and learn. And I, and I said, well, how can you accelerate this time? You know what he told me, dude? He says, you need to start investing right now. The faster you can accelerate this curve, the better. And I said, well, I don't have money. He's like, you need to solve that first. And I was thinking, well, how do I go raise money? And I and, he, and he's like, well, what's the problem? This was the qu- greatest question. He's like, well, what's the problem? I said, well, my friends don't have, like I was 20, right? He's like, my friends don't have several hundred thousand dollars is laying around to just give me in venture money. And he goes, if you solve that, you would win. And dude, here's, I'll tell you exactly the model that I did. 
I was driving home that day. I, I was in the train in New York City. I was, and then I, I was driving home after that. And I was like, how do I do this? Well, I know that my friends can afford 10 grand, but they can't afford 100. So my first ever fund, I put zero money in. I had 10 people, I had 10 of my friends commit $100,000 each. Commit, not give me, commit $100,000 each. It's full OPM, right? But they only had to uh, wire in 10K. So I only called 10% of capital and they all could afford the first 10K. And and they also, and, and, but, I, but they committed 100K. And I told them I would never call more than 10K a quarter. Cool. Dude, so I built this million dollar... F- uh, angel fund and we were writing $25,000 checks, right? Like anything under that, it was hard to like get us, get a slug for, but my first, I don't know, 15 investments I made, which I lost all of them, 100, 100% of them. I lost all of them. And my friends are there. They still appreciate it because I, I was fully transparent with them. I learned on other people's money, which is sounds unfair. I've lost more money now than I have made, but it also shows that you can change the structure of a lot of things where you can not only use other people's money today, you can use other people's money over time. And so I, whenever a lot of people want to get into this fundraising business, I tell them, hey, you don't need to raise $20 million today. You just need a commitment for 20 and you can raise and tell them you're only going to call 5% of capital today. You will get way more people that will commit to 20 for five years and give you 5% today because they know that you know, that's how their world works. And when you do small things like that, you are now in the game. And being in the game is significantly better than just thinking and building decks, right? True, 100%. And, and, and like you said, I think sometimes it just comes down to you believing that what you bring to the table have value. So in your case, you were willing to go out there, find deals, negotiate, right? On deals to, to get a place on the cap table. And most people don't think that it's valuable. Like you going out there and actually doing that work, most people think, hey, it's not worth anything. Well, here's the thing, for people with more money than time, they're looking for people to find them good deals, right? And they'll be happy to pay premium. So it's more about, okay, do you believe that you have something to bring to the table? And I think that at some point, everyone needs to see himself as an investor because all of us are investors to some extent, right? We all invest in our time, sometimes our money. And you need to believe that if you'll find the right deal, you'll be able to find capital. And that's why, hence why you should be and have the confidence that you can position yourself as an investor. And when you have that confidence to position yourself as an investor, okay, cool. Then go and, and look for that money after you find the right deal. Um, so hopefully that that's kind of, uh, sharing my, my thoughts on that. But I think the more people will believe that what they bring to the table have value, um, the more value they'll get back eventually. So, so let, let me, let me ask you about this question. So, um, I have a, I have a bunch of friends who, uh, we talk about who want to get out of the, they're, if you, if you, you and I know these stats, if you make, um, $350,000 in the U S you are in like the top 1% or some, there's some, it's, I, I'm probably not off with that. You're a top 1% of earners. And the, probably the fastest way to making a great living is to have a high paying job. Like someone else takes the risk and you, you know, have all of that. And a lot, I have a lot of friends who do really well income wise, but they're chained to their employer as a partner in a law firm or accounting firm or whatever. And I, and but they have a good life. They have good status. 
for them to leave that to go to something else is, and, and, and they've probably gotten their 10 plus years, 15 plus years of service at this accounting firm, law firm, whatever. And for them to break away, to go buy a business feels like they're risking something and feels like they're putting, Hey, they're there. And, and they're their family. They have children at school. They have a lifestyle to maintain, et cetera. One thing you shared with me was you're like, Hey, buying a business doesn't mean you have to compromise on getting a salary. Like you can still get paid as an operator. So maybe talk about that where people just think that if I buy a business, I have to slog all the way in, but a running business is probably the best safety net you can have. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that I like to look at it is that I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with kind of like the cash flow quadrant by, by Robert Kiyosaki. So it's kind of like everyone starts as an employee. Uh, there's no leverage there, right? It's very difficult to build wealth. Then some people say, Hey, okay, let me try and start a business. And that's kind of like the self-employed role. That quadrant is risky because most of new businesses fail. Right. What we're trying to do is go out there and almost skip between quadrants right into the business owner. And the difference between a self-employed and a business owner is the fact that a, a real business have systems, have a team. And the easiest way to test is that is that is, hey, you're the owner. If you're going to live for two months, is the business going to grow or not without you? Right. So what we're trying to do is to find for people who want to be entrepreneurs, those type of businesses, businesses that already have revenues, profits, team members, good products, proven markets, proven customers, testimonials, talent, everything, IP, whatever, whatever is an asset for a business, we already have those. And when we buy those businesses, first of all, it's easier to finance them because financial institutions will like, like go out there and try to raise capital for a startup from a bank compared to like an existing business, right? It's night and day. So when we go to those businesses, they already have cash flow we can use to pay a salary for the owner, especially if you're going to run the day-to-day, right? You're going to get yourself and, and get paid and, and income for yourself. And obviously distributions, if there's enough profits left, but that's, that's kind of like what we do. We make sure that we go for businesses doing at least a million a year. That's why we know we're not buying um, a hobby. We're buying legit businesses that have proven revenues, proven profits, and you just replace the owner that is most likely a lot of business owners right now are just retiring. Baby boomers looking to retire and they're looking for a safe pair of hands, someone who can take over the business and take care of their, their baby, basically take care of, of their employees. Right. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what, what we do. So, so if I'm a, if I'm listening and I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. Uh, what advice do you have for somebody that is thinking, okay, I, can go out and figure out, you know, trending industries and I can figure out, maybe I have a geographical requirement. So I just look in the area that I'm in, et cetera. How important is it to know me as if I was going to be a purchase and operate? So if I was going to kind of become the owner operator, how important is it for me to know uh, the, to have, to have knowledge of that business? So if it's a paint business, do I need to know, about that niche? Or can I learn it? Kind of what's your advice around that? Yeah. So there, there's, there's few angles where we need to look at it. So obviously if you have experience, it's better, right? It's going to be easier for you to position yourself with the banks and, and investors and whatnot. But even if you don't, first of all, you can find that person. You can find that person in the business. You can promote him. You can, like I said, hire a CEO from outside. 
you can get mentored by the retired CEO, which that's what a lot of people do. So you can have a transition period with the seller to stay with you for as, as much as you can negotiate and he can teach you. And most small businesses, it's not a rocket science, right? It's, it's just in the end of the day, what, what is a small business if not just being a good leader of people and being a good executor and, and being someone who can keep yourself and other accountable. That's what it comes down to. The actual skill is something that as a business owner, you'll find out you're not, gonna, you're not really going to do much. Like I know a lot of few people who own plumbing companies. Uh, those plumbing companies are very profitable. They're making millions of dollars. The owner is not going out there and, and do the actual work in, 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 in the trenches, right? So same with most other businesses. At some point, like above one, three million in revenues, most business owners are not actually doing the art in the business. They're mostly focused on the leadership and, and running the actual business. Yeah, I think I think you, you said two things really great. One was, hey, you can find either, you can find an operator uh, that has uh, experience in the space and that person can run the business, or you can find a, there's almost always a key person in the business that is a kind of a knowledge party that literally knows everything. And the business owner will tell you, hey, don't let Kevin go because everything will fall apart. And literally you go to Kevin and you're like, here's a state bonus. How can I help you? Like you just take care of Kevin, right? And and so there's a, you can either hire someone from the outside or, you know, kind of promote someone from within, which is really great. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two is the, you can do, uh, you can have the mentoring or the advisory from uh, the the existing CEO. Number three, you and I have talked about this. We can put a board together and you can put three to five people uh, in, in this board. And a lot of times it is, you may get, you're the, the, an industry-based CPA and industry-based accountant, you'll put a board together. That's almost, you're like, Hey, just show me, give me the perspective in this, in this industry that I don't have. I want to tell you one thing that I, I was of those three. I recently added one more to that puzzle, which um, was strange. And so one of uh, this person, I'm actually going to introduce you to, he is doing a roll-up in the physical therapy space. And he was, I was like, what do you know about physical therapy? He's like, nothing. I go, great. I love it, love it already. And he's and, and he said to me, so I said to him, I was like, hey, I have an idea. I know uh, a guy who runs one of the, uh, the signature coaching programs and mastermind groups in the physical therapy space. Just join the program. Like it is, you plug into every, you like, if you join a physical therapy industry mastermind group, and like you've literally unlocked the entire knowledge set for you so yeah. quickly. Right. And, and uh, like Joe Polish has a uh, carpet cleaners mastermind group. Like if you're buying a carpet cleaning business, you would just join his mastermind group. You're done. You can literally get access to everything. And so I think in today's world, especially there are Facebook groups, there are LinkedIn groups, but they're paid mastermind groups where you could, uh, for a very small check, you can do a complete knowledge transfer and a resource transfer that probably Moran, like, 30 years ago was not possible at all. True. True. 100%. Again, it's not just access to how to run the business that you're getting from those masterminds. It's probably the best deal flow you can get, right? Because you're working with people who are going to trust you much more because you both paid the price. You both paid the ticket to be there. I think it's, it's, it's actually one of the best strategies to, to find deals 100%. And obviously you have the, everything you need 
to then grow the business organically or potentially hire a CEO or even potentially merge with some of those companies in the mastermind. There's so many opportunities. I agree with you. And, and the price for the mastermind is, is nothing compared to the potential upside you can have there. Yeah. I want to, uh, um, I want to f- put the first thing at the end, as we wrap up, the first thing a lot of times people will ask you for is, okay, I get it. How do I go find something? And uh, how do I go find find a business like this? And I know you have in 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 your university you have multiple ways where people can go and generate deal flow and conversations with business owners. But if I'm sitting, if I'm listening right now and thinking, man, like I have no idea how to take that first step, I'd love for you to maybe just talk people through like what does that first step look like. Yeah, I think I think the the first step is first of all to have the confidence on how to position yourself in front of the owners, right? When you have that, and the easiest way to do this is just to position yourself as an investor if you don't have any background. And what I like to tell is to people is that even if your background is working in uh, I don't know in a, being an Uber driver, just go out there and tell people, hey, my background is in tra- transportation, and now I'm looking to buy a business in X sector, whatever the sector is. And then in terms of how to find deals. It really comes down to what are you feeling comfortable with? So I personally like everything related to automations and using the internet for that, right? Um, and you're from email automation, social media, LinkedIn groups, like you mentioned, masterminds. Um, I know we have a lot of people who are getting great results for those just called to call in business owners, right? So there's so many different ways anywhere from using technology up to the old school ways of cold calling and even sending email. direct letters. Yeah. 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 I mean, the simplest of things were, um, I, I'll give you that when I was at Goldman, right. We used to, we used to cold call CEOs of public companies and it's, it's nice when you have a Goldman Sachs calling card, like that's yeah. easy, easier. Cause you, but, but I think a lot of people, like, I still get this. You got, you get this a lot. Like I get the email saying, Hey, um, it's no different than someone saying, Hey, we specialize in making websites for companies like yours. Exactly. It is exactly the same email that says, Hey, our, our fund specializes in buying transportation companies and you came up on our radar. Does it make sense for us to have a call since we are buying transportation companies in your space? Like if, if I got that email, I'd be like, wait a minute, it's my space. I, I should at least take this call because this person's not trying to sell me anything. They're trying to offer me money. Like that's a completely, I think people forget that you're not selling a product. Like you are changing their lives and people, it's way easier to take that call than it is, would you like a photocopier, right? Like it's a way easier call to take. Um, exactly. Um, I, I don't know if uh, you and I talked about this, but it was in a mastermind group. I didn't think about this where I heard this, and this this probably paid for the entire year of being in this mastermind group where this uh, this guy was a an investor that no one's ever heard of. And I was like, I love those guys, right? Because you have no idea who they are, but they own everything, which is like amazing to me. <laughs> and, he's, and I asked him how he's getting his deal flow. And he know what he told me, dude? He said, all he did was he put the word investor in his LinkedIn profile. Yeah. And so it's like entrepreneur investors. And I go, wait, (laughs) that's it. He goes, you would not believe Sharon, the number of emails that I got with people just giving me opportunities. So if you do nothing else, just put investor in your LinkedIn profile, like you will start to instantly start people because people are searching for that. And then they're, they're sending you opportunities, which I think was like I've gotten cold opportunities that I've actually invested in just because I put the word investor in my LinkedIn bio. Yep, exactly. It's an investor or go and try to post on a random Facebook group that have 
uh, business owners that you potentially want to buy and to say, hey, I'm looking to buy businesses doing whatever, at least 1 million in revenues. If you are interested or know anyone who's interested, just private messenger. And like you said, just to add on what you said as well, in the end of the day, all the deal flow part of doing deals and buying businesses, it's it's just marketing. It's just turning around marketing on it on its other side and making it actually much easier. Because like you said, you're offering people money, you're offering people retirement, you're offering people potentially to get out of something that they're bored of or don't want to be part of anymore. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's an exciting path. So whatever works for any business owner to get clients will work for you here with getting deal flow to potentially buy a business. Yeah. Um, Hey, Durapa, I want to, this is so cool because I think we did this entire conversation in reverse. Uh, you know, normally it would have been the other way around. Right. And so I want to ask you the question, what I would have generally asked you first. And Mm -hmm. my question is there was probably a time when this, this clicked for you, you're like, wait a minute, like it's something, something clicked, right? What is that? Like, is there a set of, is there an event or something that happened that, that allowed this to be like, whoa, why didn't I think about like, what clicked for you to get you down this path? It's it's a good question. I think when, when I had that aha moment, I wasn't even aware of it. Right. So I basically, my first deal was an app company that I bought pretty much using the business cash flow to pay for the acquisition. And I didn't even know what acquisition is back then. All I knew is that I, I met this business owner who owned this small business that was barely making money. He had two other businesses on the side and we just kind of got to know each other really well. And it's like, I don't want to be part of it. If you want, take this away from me, just pay me X amount of dollars over a period of time and it's yours. And back then I was like, okay, cool. I, I have a cool opportunity to work here on something that might be exciting or might not. I didn't even know what what are acquisitions, right? But at some point you're like, oh damn, I, I, I run here something that have employees that is bringing me money that eventually I was able to turn around and that my app became the top 100 app in the app store for a period of time. So I think that was probably my biggest aha moment knowing that, hey, you can grow by years worth of sales in, in an afternoon just by doing one deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope everybody heard that. How can you grow by years worth of sales in one afternoon? That that's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Uh, hey, how uh, so? How can how can people get so? Uh, you've got you've got multiple ways to work with people. You've got the you got your awesome university program, but you also partner with entrepreneurs to help them on their path. Uh, how can people get to know more about you and connect with you and kind of go down this path with you? Yeah, just uh best way to go to acquisitions.com. See what's going on there. If you like what you see, just, just book a call and let's chat. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, man, uh, I've known you many years. Um, you've always been a great positive force in my life. I appreciate you for uh, sharing and dropping knowledge and always just coming up with, you know, every time we chat, uh, come up with creative ideas on how we can make the world a better place. And so uh, thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you, man. Hey, Sharon, I have a cool gift for you. I took some of my best ideas from the last 20 years and created a five-day MBA. It's quick and action-packed that you can listen to on the go, just like this podcast. And I want to give it to you for free, just as a thank you for listening to the show. No fluff, no gimmicks, just pure actionable ideas for you to use instantly. You can grab it right now at businessschoolshow.com 
That's businesscoolshow.com. dot com.